Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 25 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Robert Seddon, or Bob to his friends, had lived with his wife Patricia in a semi-detached home for over 20 years on Clough Avenue in Sale, Greater Manchester. They had been married for over four and a half decades and were described as a quiet and unassuming couple by their neighbours. Before moving to Clough Avenue, Robert and Patricia had first settled in Timperley, Altrincham, with their son and daughter Stephen and Leslie. Raising their children wasn't always easy. Leslie was seven when she became very ill. After a battery of tests, she was diagnosed with epilepsy. Towards the late 80s, Robert's mother passed away. The Seddons purchased her two-storey, three-bedroom home on Clough Avenue. Their children now fully grown, Stephen moved out into a flat on his own in Manchester, and Leslie continued living with her parents. In 2012, Robert had retired from his job as a maintenance worker for British Airways and Patricia had left her job as a cleaner. Their daughter Leslie had passed away after an epileptic fit four years earlier, leaving Robert and his wife to care for their 16-year-old grandson Daniel, who had severe learning disabilities. Daniel had the developmental age of a three-year-old and needed full-time care. On the evening of March 20th, 2012, 
their son Stephen, who was often referred to as Nick, paid them a surprise visit. He was there to take his parents out on a belated Mother's Day dinner at a restaurant at the Altrincham Golf Course. With 45-year-old Stephen at the wheel, they made the 10-minute drive to the restaurant. His nephew Daniel sat in the front passenger seat and Stephen's parents in the back. They travelled along Canal Road in Timperley, which is bordered by a wall that fences off a residential area. Stephen suddenly felt a pain in his chest and momentarily blacked out. After hitting what he thought was a brick in the centre of the road, it startled him and looking for the brake he accidentally put his foot on the accelerator. Stephen tried desperately to wrestle with the steering wheel but the car veered off the pavement and hit a curb. Before he could get the vehicle under control, it ploughed through a gap in the trees and plummeted into the freezing waters of the eight-foot-deep Bridgewater Canal. The vehicle quickly began to fill up with water as each of the passengers tried to undo their seatbelts. As the car was partially submerged, the doors wouldn't open. Arthritis in 68-year-old Robert Seddon's hands made it nearly impossible to pull himself from the car and his wife, who had suffered a brain hemorrhage the previous year, was immobile. Stephen managed to escape smashing the driver's side window with a crook lock, though lost his grip on it before it was lost to the dark waters of the canal. Now out of the car but still fighting for breath, he made attempts to shatter the other windows of the vehicle. Thinking fast, he climbed on top of the car, sat down, and used his heels to kick at the glass. As one of the windows shattered, Robert managed to unbuckle his grandson's seatbelt, pushing him forward as Stephen pulled out the six-foot-three-inch teenager from the slowly sinking vehicle. Daniel couldn't swim and began to flail around, pulling both him and his uncle under the water. Robert shouted to Stephen to get his grandson to safety. A resident in a nearby garden next to the canal heard the commotion and contacted the emergency services. A short distance away, some teenage boys who had just so happened to be walking home on the canal towpath also heard Stephen's cries for help. As they ran towards the scene, they saw the brake lights of the BMW shining skyward and two people treading water in the canal. Stephen swam towards the bank with his nephew and the young teenagers grabbed the arms of 16-year-old Daniel and pulled him out of the water onto the grass verge. Stephen swam back to the car and managed to free his father, but as he was so exhausted and slowly running out of breath, his head went under the water. His father pulled him up, and with a second wind, Stephen swam with Robert to the bank before again returning to the car, desperately trying to free his mother. As Daniel was coughing up water, firefighters arrived. Robert looked on in horror at the partially submerged car with his wife trapped inside. The weight of the engine was tipping the vehicle forwards, with the rear end of the car pointing upwards. Three firefighters wearing buoyancy aids jumped into the canal and swam towards Stephen, who was screaming and shouting for help and wouldn't leave his mother who was trapped and slowly drowning. Using an axe, one of the firemen smashed the car's rear window. This released a burst of air which made the car sink further before it was completely submerged. Stephen was struggling. He had pulled both his nephew and father from the wreckage but was now shaking from the cold water and fighting to stay afloat. 
ropes from the bank were thrown towards him, and Stephen was securely tied and pulled out of the canal before collapsing on the bank. Firefighters attempted to pull Patricia out of the car, but headrests in the back seat made it nearly impossible to get her through the rear window. Taking the axe, a firefighter smashed a second window, and Patricia was pulled out through the broken glass as the car sank to the bottom. The emergency crew pulled her lifeless body from the water and did their best to resuscitate her, but Patricia's heart had stopped. Paramedics performed CPR as her horrified husband looked on in despair. For almost five agonizing minutes, they pumped her chest and used a defibrillator before Patricia finally began to show signs of life. She was rushed to Withenshaw Hospital. Three firefighters were also taken to Trafford General Hospital to treat their wounds after they sustained a number of cuts from the broken glass. Stephen Seddon was assessed by doctors who said he had possibly experienced a cardiac event. After the dramatic rescue, Patricia Seddon was interviewed by the Manchester Evening News. She said, I can remember all of it until the water started to come into the car. The doors would just not open. The next thing I remember is my husband shouting to get my grandson out. I remember that. I was quite calm really at that point. It was strange. I did not know how the rest of my family were. I remember my son at the side of the window talking to me. He was telling me to keep calm. I just do not know how I managed to get out of it. I thought I was going to die and that was it. I remember a fireman at the back of the window trying to pull me out. He was grabbing my arm and that is all I can remember from that moment onwards. I am lucky to be here and it's down to the fire service. They were brilliant and are all heroes. Her husband Robert said and also spoke about what happened and said, I thought we were going to die. I think the car hit a brick. It just lurched sideways and the next thing it was in the canal. I did not want to leave my wife. I felt terrible. The car was filling with water very quickly. I had to get out, but I knew she was in there. Thankfully, the firefighters managed to get her out. Robert described how exhausted his son looked and said, I don't know how he did it. Stephen said, I'm just glad we all survived. I did what I could. Stephen was also interviewed at the crash site after the incident. Yeah, um, we were going out for a family meal, my, my parents, um, myself, um, and my, my nephew, uh, Daniel. Um, we're just going down the road there, um, and basically I got severe pains in my chest, um, which had gone like that, and then before I knew it, there was a bang, and, and the car just veered off to the right-hand side. My father thinks we hit, hit a brick, and I've been back today, and I think that's exactly what, what has happened. Then we've gone straight into the While the actions of the firefighters and the paramedics were noted, Stephen said and a father of three was hailed a hero. Stephen posed for newspaper photographs near the crash site and was even put forward for the Daily Mirror Pride of Britain awards for his actions. In one photo, Stephen can be seen with his parents, a comforting hand on his mother's knee who is smiling in admiration for her son. The news made national headlines 
and Stephen and his father were interviewed by the BBC. I said to Dad, wait, and I, I, I swam back. I got back to him then, but then I'd run out of steam then, hadn't I? Yeah, yeah. It was like a 200-yard swim in cold water, doing what we had to do with the exertion. And I, I just looked at his face like that, and I said, I'm going down here, Dad. And he, he went, no! And he grabbed me, and held onto me, and I held onto the car, and I got my second breath back. I'm not the hero. I save people who I love, do you know what I mean? It's, that's what you but do, you know what I mean? But the firefighter dove in and saved a complete stranger. After interest in the crash and the subsequent rescue waned, Robert and Patricia Seddon continued with their quiet life on Clough Avenue, and the accident slowly faded from memory. Almost four months passed. At the start of July, neighbours realised they hadn't seen either Robert or Patricia in the last few days, so they grew concerned. There had been no movement in the home on the quiet suburban street, and the couple often kept to an unvarying routine. No one was answering their phone, no washing was out on the clothesline, their bins were not out for collection, and their curtains remained drawn. It seemed strange. They were well-liked and were often seen on the estate. The back door always remained unlocked, but this time it was secure. Their grandson Daniel was away staying with a respite carer who returned on Friday, July 6, 2012, but no one answered the door. Through a window, the carer could see Robert and notified the emergency services at 4.30pm. Hello, uh, I'm a, a short-legged foster carer for a child. He has not been able to be dropped off at his own house. Uh, because his grandparents are not answering the door. I've just been round the back and I've seen his grandfather and he appears to have a gun in his hand. Police arrived and gained access to the property. They found Patricia in the hallway with a gunshot to the back of her head. Robert was sat on the sofa in the lounge with a gunshot wound to his neck and a sawn-off shotgun on his lap. A stack of newspapers dated up to July 4th and an unfinished portion of fish and chips sat on the living room table. There was no sign of forced entry or a robbery. Neighbours hadn't seen the Seddons in the last few days, and to find out they had been gunned down in their own home was shocking. They were just a lovely couple. You just knew they were nice neighbours. We went away, they were looked after the house, or had a spare key, the kids got locked out, and just a normal, lovely couple. There's such a sad loss. It's uh, unimaginable that an act of such uh, horror could, could have happened to, to a, a close family such as that. As police explored a number of leads, the local press speculated that it had been a murder-suicide. Robert had been taking antidepressants after his wife Patricia had suffered a brain hemorrhage in 2011 leaving her immobile and needing constant care. Around the same period, he had suffered a heart attack and wasn't in the best of health. Carol McDermott, a resident of Clough Avenue, spoke to the Manchester Evening News and said they'd had a fair amount of bad luck in recent years and I know Bob had been feeling down. They'd had a lifetime of bad luck over a very short period. It's all come as a complete shock. They were just lovely, mild-mannered people. You couldn't have asked for nicer neighbours. They've always been here, and everyone knew them on the street, but now suddenly this has happened. 
Duncan Smith, the next door neighbour, also told a reporter, It's a massive shock. They were such an ordinary down-to-earth couple. You could never see them being involved in something like this. Stephen Seddon was contacted and informed that his parents, who had survived a near-fatal car accident only a few months earlier, had been found dead in their home. He called a friend and broke down in tears as he told them the news. His nephew Daniel was placed into the care of relatives. Around half a dozen bouquets of flowers along with tributes to the couple were left outside their home. One read, Rest in peace Uncle Bob and Auntie Pat. I will never forget your loving nature and funny stories I used to love hearing as a child. Another tribute read, I loved you more than words can say. I will miss you so very much. Love you always, your loving sister. After a post-mortem was completed, it confirmed that Robert and Patricia had each died on July 4th from a single gunshot wound. As neighbours speculated about a motive for the killing, forensic officers swept the property on Clough Avenue. Robert had been captured by a CCTV camera on July 4th at 12.05pm purchasing some fish and chips, and the last phone call answered at the home was from social services. The call ended sometime around 12.25pm. Just 24 hours after the bodies of Patricia and Robert Seddon were found dead, police arrived in Seam County, Durham at 6pm on July 7th. It was late on Friday afternoon when police were called to this semi-detached house in a quiet street in Sale. Inside, they found the bodies of Bob and Patricia Seddon, who were in their 60s and had both been shot. Their son has now been arrested on suspicion of murder. Police are describing what happened here as a double tragedy as the murder investigation in this suburban street continues. The man who had saved his parents' lives after a near-fatal car crash was now being questioned at Pendleton Police Station in connection with their deaths. Following his arrest, it was reported that Stephen, who studied at Manchester University, had been the vice chairman of the South Tyneside Business Committee for the Northeast Chamber of Commerce, and though unemployed at the time his parents had died, he had worked at Kitchens Direct, Mercedes-Benz and BMW, selling kitchens and luxury cars. Stephen had also helped a longtime friend Paul Massey run for the mayor of Salford by leading the social networking and marketing element of the campaign. Paul Massey, who had his own troubles with the law after receiving a 14-year sentence for stabbing a man in the groin in 1999, spoke with a reporter and said, Stephen was in a terrible state when he found out his parents had died. He put his life on the line for them, dragging them out of the car. Why would he possibly do something like this? In a subsequent interview, Paul Massey also spoke of how Stephen couldn't stop crying as he told his friends that his parents had been killed. Massey went on to describe the type of person Stephen said and was. He said, you feel very relaxed in his company within a matter of seconds. He's a totally beautiful guy and would do anything for anybody. He doesn't like trouble and he loves people. I speak from my heart. I don't believe for one moment he could have done anything like that. 
I think the police have gone through his door without doing their homework. While friends of Stephen Seddon were taken aback that he was being accused of killing the parents he had saved mere months earlier, Superintendent Simon Retford addressed the media and said, A 45-year-old male has been arrested in the northeast of England and he is known to the family. We have launched a murder investigation to establish the exact circumstances of what has happened here and why. What I can say is that there is no evidence whatsoever that anyone else in the community has ever been under any threat from this incident. What happened appears to be isolated, but this is a dynamic, fast-paced investigation and we are not leaping to any conclusions. It is natural that Sale residents will have many questions about what has happened in their community. The high visibility patrols are approachable, so I would encourage anyone with concerns to speak to the officers on the street. They are there to help. On July 12th, Stephen Seddon was charged with murdering his parents and appeared via video link before Manchester Magistrates Court the following day. At the pre-trial hearing wearing a blue top and grey tracksuit bottoms, Stephen was asked to confirm his name and address. He said, Stephen Robert Seddon of Pendleton Police Station. I'm at Pendleton Police Station at the moment. He was quizzically asked, did he not live in Seam County, Durham? And he replied, of no fixed abode. As Seddon was led to his cell, he was heard shouting, I'm an innocent man, I've been set up. Stephen Seddon was remanded in custody and a further directions hearing took place in November in which a trial was scheduled for February of the following year. During September 2012, a number of further arrests were also made in connection with the shooting. A 55-year-old male and a 36-year-old female were held on suspicion of perverting the course of justice, along with a 26-year-old male who was arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to commit murder. A 49-year-old male, 39-year-old female and 33-year-old male were also arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to commit murder and Section 16 firearms offences. The individuals were not identified by the press. They were released on bail, but were never ultimately charged. The trial began on February 20th, 2013 at Manchester Crown Court. Judge Mr Justice Hamblin presided over the case. Stephen Seddon was charged with two counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. He pleaded not guilty to all counts and claimed that he had been in Seam, County Durham, over 150 miles away on July 4, 2012. There was no forensic evidence tying him to the crime scene and his mobile phone never left Seam. His car had also been stuck in a secure garage during the morning of the shooting after an electrical outage in the area. The prosecution believed that Seddon had murdered his parents mere months after he had attempted to drown them in a bid to secure an inheritance. Robert and Patricia had drawn up a will in October 2009 naming the other as the beneficiary of their assets, 
valued at £356,000 if one of them died. After liabilities, their estate would be worth £231,000. From his home in Seam County, Durham, police believe Seddon travelled through the northwest, killing his parents before returning to his wife and two youngest children at a caravan park in Fleetwood. While describing the events of March 20, 2012, in which he had driven into a canal in Timperley, Altrincham, Stephen spoke of chest pains, blacking out and a brick in the road before the crash. The prosecution believed he deliberately drove the vehicle into the water, and an accident investigator later ruled that it would have been highly improbable that a brick was the cause, as no debris could be found at the scene. They also suggested that Stephen told his parents he was taking them to a restaurant at the Altrincham Golf Course. However, the journey through Canal Road was not the shortcut he claimed it to be. Even Stephen's father had his own doubts as to whether or not it was an accident, as he had spoken to his GP the day before he had died and told the doctor that he thought his son might have tried to kill him. Stephen had recorded an episode of a television show called Mythbusters, in which the hosts tell viewers how to escape from a car that's been driven into a deep pool of water. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Stephen Seddon had been raised on the Bromwood estate in Timperley. By his early teens, he was stealing cars and breaking into houses. He was convicted at Bolton Crown Court in 1989 for a number of offences that included obtaining goods by deception and theft. As he approached adulthood, it seemed Stephen had left his criminal past behind and began running a highly successful business that had turned over £5 million, securing European funding grants for companies throughout the north of England for an upfront fee. He met his wife on a night out in 1996 and the couple moved to the northeast. They were financially comfortable. Stephen often travelled around the world on business trips and can be seen in social media posts posing in his Bentley Turbo or at the Waldorf Astoria in New York. Life was good and his parents were proud of their son who had turned his life around. Stephen got married and had children before things then took a turn for the worse. The company he ran collapsed and he pleaded guilty to fraudulent trading in 2000. He was sentenced to a year in prison. After being released he started to go by the name Nick, possibly to hide his criminal past, and took a number of jobs in sales but became financially dependent on his parents after he lost his job in October 2011. Stephen's wife and their three children had been living off her benefits. A financial analyst would later tell the court that Stephen had applied for a number of loans from payday lenders prior to the death of his parents and had £5.45 in his bank account on July 4, 2012, the day that he allegedly shot them. Offering their son a chance to start over, Stephen's parents had used an equity release scheme to raise capital on their home. They gave him £38,500 in cash and purchased their son a new family property in Seaham County, Durham for £90,000, close to where his wife had been raised. Before the crash in March 2012, Stephen had hired a high-performance BMW and taken out an extra insurance policy on the vehicle. On the journey, he had also brought with him a lock knife, which the prosecution claimed was used to cut off his seatbelt, and a crook lock, commonly used to secure a steering wheel, which was employed to smash the driver's side window once the car crashed into the canal. When asked by investigators why he would take a crook lock with him when using a new model of car that wouldn't need it, Stephen told them that he always took it with him for sentimental reasons. It had been given to him by a family member that had since passed away. The court was told that after the crash, Stephen climbed onto the roof of the car, kicking out the windows in a bid to make the vehicle sink faster. Peter Wright QC told the jury that Robert and Patricia Seddon had died in an execution-style killing and said it was their son Stephen that shot them in a more certain method of bringing about their deaths. Stephen's father Robert Seddon had been found lifeless on the sofa in the living room with a sawn-off shotgun on his lap and his hand on the weapon. The Crown Prosecution Service alleged that the firearm had been put there by Stephen to make it look like a murder-suicide rather than a double murder at the hands of an ungrateful son. The prosecutor said, At the time of these murders he had money problems, and what you may conclude was an insatiable thirst for cash. He was the sole beneficiary of their wills, but in order to inherit he needed them both dead. 
It was only after their deaths that a critical examination of these events took place. Stephen said and enjoyed a moment in the sun as the press portrayed him as one of the heroes of the moment. The accolades showered upon him as the rescuer of his parents may have been music to his ears, but did little to alleviate his financial problems. Consequently, he needed to resort to a more certain method to bring about their deaths. As his opening statement came to a close, Peter Wright QC said, In the immediate aftermath of these executions, the killer had taken steps to make it look as if the person responsible was in fact Robert Seddon. The person responsible not only wanted rid of Robert and Patricia Seddon, he wanted to lay a false trail. A trail he hoped would lead away rather than towards a man with a considerable motive to kill these two people. That man was their son, the defendant, Stephen Seddon. As the trial progressed into its third day, the court heard from witnesses who saw the BMW crash into the water of the canal at Timperley on March 20, 2012. Ruth Carroll, who was driving on the same stretch of road around 8pm, told the jury how she witnessed the vehicle travelling at speed towards her before crashing into the water. There was no rain that evening, but it was dark and cold outside. She notified the emergency services immediately. Hello? Hi, I'm driving up Canal Road in Timpley, Manchester, and a car has just driven into the canal. Okay. Is anybody inside, can you tell? Uh, well, no one's out. They literally drove towards me and they sort of didn't stop and then they stayed off and got into the canal. Elliot Fox, who lived in the bridge apartments overlooking the canal, could see the lights from the car shining into the water. He saw Stephen Seddon on top of the vehicle as he was attempting to break the windows. Ian Dutton, who witnessed the crash, also made a call to the emergency services after Stephen was shouting, Don't just stand there. He claimed that a passerby pulled Stephen's nephew Daniel from the water and then he witnessed Stephen Seddon climb on top of the bonnet, then the roof of the car, before it began to sink and water started to rush in through the broken window. Ian Dutton shouted to Stephen that he was making it worse and told the court it was only when police arrived that Stephen climbed off of the car and was pulled out of the water. The witness testified that when Stephen was safely on the bank with his father, he expected them to embrace, but they didn't. Stephen Seddon's defence counsel, Alan Hedworth QC, addressed the witness and informed Ian Dutton that in his statement to police, he had said Stephen Seddon had tried to get his nephew out of the water. He questioned why the witness's story had now changed, but there was no reason given. A police officer at the scene, PC Martin Morris, gave testimony that he feared that Patricia Seddon was going to drown as he watched the firefighters attempting to save her. He also observed Stephen claim that he had hit a brick in the road, and that was the cause of the crash. Towards the end of February 2013, the court heard from a family behavioural manager that had spoken to Stephen Seddon two months before Robert and Patricia Seddon were found dead. 
Stephen had visited his son's school to meet with teachers as the teenager was having some behavioural issues. Leanne Kennedy told the court that while discussing their options regarding the 13-year-old, their conversation went off on a tangent and Stephen started talking about a large inheritance he was shortly due to receive, which he would use as a financial incentive to ensure his son behaved. It was also revealed that Stephen had met with the owners of a pub in Seam, which he had designs to purchase, despite having little money at the time. As the trial continued into its third week, Dr. Philip Lum, a forensic pathologist, took to the stand. The pathologist said the gunshot to the base of Robert Seddon's neck was in a downward trajectory and death would have been very rapid. Robert showed no signs that he had tried to fend off a potential attacker. The pathologist told the jury that it was not possible that Robert had shot himself despite the weapon used in the murder being discovered on his lap with his right hand resting on top of it. When questioned by prosecutor Peter Wright if the wound was self-inflicted or caused by a third party, Dr Philip Lum said there was no evidence the weapon had been fired at close range. After Robert Seddon's arms had been measured, ballistic evidence confirmed that the firearm was discharged one and a half metres away. The forensic pathologist concluded it was not possible that Robert had shot himself. Patricia Seddon was found face down lying in the hallway. She had been shot in the back of the head and death would have been instantaneous. The forensic pathologist told the court soot staining was present on this lady's right hand, potentially from holding the weapon or a defensive type manoeuvre. There were injuries to the right and upper arms with a number of potential causes, including grips. The evidence suggested that Patricia attempted to defend herself before she died. The court also heard from Robert Stockton, Stephen's brother-in-law and neighbour in Seam. Robert Stockton had lent Stephen his car on the morning of July 4th as Stephen needed to go to the job centre. Stockton was asked by defence counsel Alan Hedworth if he had noticed any problems between Stephen and his parents and he said, not at all, they were a very close family. Forensic testing was completed on the car Stephen Seddon had borrowed but there was no sign of gunshot residue. An expert witness for the prosecution testified that it would be unusual to find any residue in a vehicle after a few days of general use as he said it would be a very effective way of removing it. In its fourth week, the trial heard from Trafford CID officer Detective Sergeant Simon Clapperton. Suspicion had fallen on Stephen when the police had spoken to his father's GP, who told them of Robert Seddon's concerns that his son had tried to kill him. They also discovered Stephen's financial problems, and CCTV had been utilised to track a BMW that Stephen had borrowed from his brother-in-law on the day his parents had been shot. Stephen had changed his clothing on a number of occasions throughout the day, and the prosecution claimed that he purposefully made attempts to be spotted throughout Seam County, Durham. On July 4, 2012, Stephen had been staying at a caravan park in Fleetwood, Lancashire with his wife and sons. The mobile home was owned by his father 
and Stephen used it for family holidays. Stephen told his wife that he had forgotten he needed to sign on at the job centre in Siam, so left the park on July 4th in his Volkswagen Passat at 5.24am and travelled back home before the appointment. He parked his car in an electrically powered secure garage, but as a planned power outage on the street was activated, he was now unable to use the Passat, so borrowed his brother-in-law's BMW. He arrived at the job centre in Siam to sign on just before 10am. He was captured on CCTV wearing a light blue short-sleeve shirt and trousers. After leaving the job centre, he travelled to an Asda supermarket in Byron Place Retail Park and was captured again on CCTV at 10.36am using an ATM. This time he was seen wearing a black short-sleeve shirt and black trousers. Although Stephen claimed he had been in Siam, automatic number plate recognition cameras identified that the car that he had borrowed travelled through sale later that afternoon. The car was filmed driving south past a supermarket on Manor Avenue in Sale at 1.33pm. He was 150 miles from home and was heading towards his parents which was only a four minute drive away. A witness heard a car speeding away from Clough Avenue around the time of the shooting. The BMW was again captured this time driving north on Manor Avenue at 2.02pm. At 4.36pm, Stephen was filmed at Home Bargains in the same retail park in Byron Place where he had been spotted earlier that day, but this time he was wearing a blue short-sleeve shirt and grey trousers and was seen purchasing a basket full of alcoholic drinks. The car he had borrowed was close to the scene of the shooting during crucial times and Stephen was unable to verify his whereabouts. Two loan companies had tried to contact Seddon on his mobile phone, but the calls were answered by his wife's nephew. A shotgun believed to have been used to kill Robert and Patricia Seddon had been stolen from a property a short distance from Stephen's home in the northeast. Police also learned that Stephen had contacted an individual in Darlington with known links to firearms. The car he was travelling in was spotted in that area, just 30 miles south of Siam. After his parents had been found dead, a detective spoke to Stephen on the phone. When asking him about the funeral arrangements, Stephen told the detective that he had no money to pay for it and said, What am I going to do now? I'm going to lose the house. The mortgage is in my dad's name. Though upset, on the call, Stephen also mentioned that he was concerned his father might have fallen foul to cowboy builders and said his father was gullible. Stephen also told the detective that he had spoken to a neighbour who had heard Robert and Patricia arguing the day before the shooting. D.S. Clapperton told the court that it didn't sound like Stephen had any desire to leave his home in Siam to come and speak to the police in person. The court would eventually hear from Stephen Seddon who addressed the jury from the witness box. When he was interviewed under caution, Stephen had initially told police he hadn't left his home in Siam, but in court, he admitted to delivering drugs for an organised crime group based in Darlington. 
Stephen was questioned and asked why he didn't mention this earlier. He said that he was worried he would be killed if he divulged the information. Stephen claimed he had completed his first drugs run in May 2012 and after picking up the second package from two people in Manchester on July 4th, he said, I never looked into the carrier bag. It was quite obvious what it was. Drugs. It was dropped at my house. He said the payment for his services was left on a back street near his home. Stephen claimed that he wasn't involved in the death of his parents and the thought of financially benefiting from it never crossed his mind. He said he was being set up. When cross-examined by the prosecution, Stephen's criminal history was relayed to the jury. On top of the fraudulent activity he was ultimately sent to prison for in 2000, other offences including burglary, theft and handling stolen goods were highlighted. Stephen agreed with the prosecutor Peter Wright QC that he had lived his life dishonestly when it suited him, but denied he had anything to do with the murder of his mother and father. When asked to recount the events that led to the car crash at Timperley, he said he had chest pains and hit a brick or possibly a curbstone before the car entered the water. He denied that his father had mentioned that perhaps the crash had not been an accident, when asked if he was worried his inheritance prospects might start to reduce, Stephen replied, No, I loved my mother and father. I'd never hurt them. During his second day of testimony, Stephen was asked if he called his parents on the morning of July 4, 2012 to check whether or not his nephew was at the property. A third cartridge was found in the weapon used to kill Robert and Patricia, which the prosecutor claimed proved that Stephen was prepared to kill his nephew. The defendant angrily replied, That's a sick thing to say. You're making statements about a disabled child, and the sick assumption I would want to kill a disabled child. There's something wrong with you. As the prosecutor was reminding the jury that Stephen's nephew was in the car during the crash in March 2012, Stephen interjected, stating, The one I nearly died saving. After the prosecution and the defence gave their closing arguments, and following 18 hours and 11 minutes of deliberation, the jury came to a decision on March 27, 2013. As the verdict was read aloud, a shout of yes was heard from the public gallery when Stephen Seddon was found guilty on an 11 to 1 majority verdict for each charge. Stephen stood motionless, shaking his head back and forth as Robert and Patricia's family wept while hugging one another. After the verdict, Alan Hedworth QC spoke with the judge and asked that he not sentence his client to a whole life tariff. The judge said he would reflect on the matter. Judge Justice Hamlin thanked the jury and said that they were welcome to come to court the following day to witness Stephen Seddon being sentenced. Outside the court, Cheryl Ramiak from the Crown Prosecution Service gave a statement to the press about Stephen Seddon's conviction, 
The jury have consequently rejected his version of what happened when he drove the car into the canal and his bogus and outlandish accounts of the day that he killed his parents. They have recognised them for what they are, a catalogue of lies. On March 28th, Judge Mr Justice Hamblin addressed Stephen Seddon and said, The reason for the attempted murders and the murders was greed. You needed money. You had lost your job. You had a mortgage. You had a family to support. You had some grand plans. Despite the fact that your parents had always been very generous in supporting you, you wanted more, and you wanted it now. Hence the plan to kill them and get your inheritance up front. After the judge spoke of the circumstances of the case, he went on to say, In Greek mythology, someone who killed a parent would be pursued until death by the Furies. Throughout time, it has been recognised as a terrible and unnatural crime. You have killed not one parent, but both of them. You have done so for gain. You have done so having first tried unsuccessfully to kill them by other means. You have done so by the barbaric act of shooting them at point-blank range with a sawn-off shotgun. As the judge spoke, from the dock, Stephen shouted, No, they were not murdered by me at all. I'm an innocent man. The judge told him to keep quiet, but Stephen raised his voice and screamed, I won't keep quiet. I'm an innocent man. The judge continued, In effect, you executed your own parents. One can only imagine the horror of your parents' last moments in this life when they realised what a monster their own son, who they loved, had become. Stephen Seddon was sentenced to life in prison. The judge stated he was satisfied that a whole life order was justifiable, but went on to say, I recognise that such an order is very rarely made and that it remains a sentence of last resort. And told Stephen Seddon, There will therefore be light at the end of the tunnel, but it will be a very faint light. Mr Justice Hamlin decided on the minimum term given the aggravating and mitigating factors of the case. He reminded those present that for a murder of this seriousness that involved the use of a firearm, was murder for gain and the murder of two people, the recommended minimum starting point is 30 years. While the judge confirmed Stephen had no previous convictions for violence, he stressed the aggravating factors of the crime. There was a significant degree of planning or premeditation, an element of abuse of trust, and an element of victim vulnerability due to Robert and Patricia's age and health. He also factored in the attempts on their life. Stephen Seddon would have to serve a minimum of 40 years in prison before being given parole and he would remain on licence for the rest of his life. He was also sentenced to 20 years in prison for the two counts of attempted murder which would run concurrently with his sentence for murder. A man who murdered his parents for an inheritance has been sentenced to life in prison. This was the sentencing, there was never any doubt as to what would be passed, but once again, looking at the facts of this, it was a horrendous case. Yes, absolutely horrendous, and the judge touched upon that today. He turned to Stephen Seddon in the dock for sentencing. He said, you have been convicted of a heinous crime, the cold-blooded killing of a quiet, unassuming couple.
Robert and Patricia's extended family released a statement through the family liaison officer PC Bryn Jones from the Greater Manchester Police. The past nine months have been very sad and emotional time for our family. The shock of having both Pat and Bob taken from us in such horrifying and tragic circumstances have left us feeling numb. Pat and Bob were a kind, loving and selfless couple who will be missed by their family and friends and especially by their grandson, Daniel, who they cared with great love and affection. The family would like to take this opportunity. Denise Worth, the detective superintendent from the Greater Manchester Police Force, spoke about Stephen Seddon and said he portrayed himself as a devoted and loving son and told lie after lie after lie. He's just an evil, wicked man who did it all for greed. So where are we now? After the death of Robert and Patricia's daughter Leslie in 2008, Stephen was the sole beneficiary of their will. After being convicted of killing his parents, Stephen would not receive his inheritance. The executor of the will reverted to one of Stephen's cousins who took care of Robert and Patricia's financial affairs. Stephen Seddon will be 86 years old when he is eligible for parole. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. To keep up to date with news on the podcast, you can follow us on our social media accounts. We're on Facebook and Instagram under They Walk Among Us Podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at TWAU underscore podcast. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.